It's good to see you tonight, and I am glad that you made it out this evening. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't mind 80 degrees days in Texas, so it doesn't bother me. I enjoy wearing a coat every now and then, as I said a couple weeks ago, but man, it's nice. Colossians 3 tonight. We're in um, this little series, this little series of Colossians, and we've kind of just really pumped the brakes hard right here because there is, uh, there's just so much to be said, and I wanted to get through more than what I'm going to say tonight, and I'm just not going to be able to. It's just too much. It's just... The Colossians 3.12 and 13 and 14 and 15 are just where the rubber meets the road for us, folks. I mean, this is, this is life. This is where we're at. Um, this is where we're at in relationships with people. And learning how to be kind and merciful and humble and meek and long-suffering and patient and forgiving and loving and peaceful and thankful. So... I hope you'll just bear with me as uh, we go through this a little slower than I was anticipating. I thought that maybe we would look at these in one quick shot, but the Lord has not let me do that. And so um, I want to just see tonight just two of these particular gifts that God has given to us, the gift of humbleness of mind and meekness. And we're going to see these two articles of clothing that God has required of us as believers to put on. Now, if you go back in your text just a bit, you'll see in verse number 8, he says, make sure that you put off now, put off also, or excuse me, and now all, you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another. See that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Um, we've been studying this principle, and it's a very, very helpful principle if you'll get this in your Christian walk in life, the put off, put on principle. Put off the old, put on the new. And I've been illustrating it very simply as a man that's a, a poor man and he goes into a rich man's house and he says, here are all your clothes that you can have. Can you imagine how foolish a man would be if he said, no, thank you, I don't want those clothes. But we've also been saying with that illustration is this, is that, that the reason why the rich man, or excuse me, the poor man, gets to have the clothes is not because the poor man did anything. It's because of what the rich man did for him. And you see, these particular qualities that God is asking us to put on are not ours. We were not born as holy, merciful, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, and forgiving people. That's not how we were born. Rather, we were born in a different state. We were born uh, to the old man. And the old man is, uh, is after the likeness of the devil. And the devil is filled with anger and wrath and malice and hate and filthiness and, and lying and debauchery. 
And we have to learn in our walk with Jesus Christ to put off the old and put on the new. That's always what we're doing. This is something that should have been doing, we should have been doing a long time ago. But also, at the same time, we, this is something we should be practicing every day. Whenever you notice an area of anger pop up in your life, you should be immediately repenting of that and asking God to forgive you and then putting it off and finding something else to put on in place of that. It's put off, put on, put off, put on. This is the constant battle of the Christian life. This is constantly what we are doing, consistently. If you have any dealings with people, you'll be putting off and putting on. All right? Always. So tonight we want to deal with two articles of clothing, humbleness of mind or humility and meekness. These two gifts provide for us some of the most unique clothing the world has ever seen. But what is key here is the word humbleness of mind. And I think that applies to many of the other ones, and it's well-connected, as we'll see later on, even to long-suffering, forbearance, and also to forgiveness. But the more you're humble, the more you're able to be meek. I think of humbleness as in not only my humility towards others, but humility is the idea of my thoughts and who I think of myself in comparison to God. Who are you in comparison to God? And then meekness goes on, the, goes on the horizontal level. Meekness deals with my relationship with people. No doubt you can be humble in your relationships. I'm not saying that. But humility oftentimes deals with this vertical relationship that we have with God. But think about it. How many times has pride been a factor in our patience? Or excuse me, when we lose our patience. It's every time. How many times has pride been the root cause when we choose to defend ourselves rather than just when we're reviled, reviled not again? It's every time. It's not a question of are we meek and humble. I, the question for me is can I be both at the same time? Amen. I have to ask myself, can I be both at the same time? Well, I want to give you a little bit of hope tonight because I believe that by the grace of God you can. Because God would never have given to us these wonderful articles of clothing had he not intended for us to wear them. He did not simply give us this beautiful wardrobe in Colossians 3, 12, and 13 and then say, ah, sorry, you don't get to wear this, all right? Only on special occasions can you put these on, right? It's not what God did. These are to be put on every single day of our Christian life. So in this first thing he says in verse number 12, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. And I really like the way the King James words that. I read some other versions with that. And a lot of times they just translate it straight up just humility. And I understand where they're coming from with that, but that's really not the word. The word is really humbleness of mind. And our King James translators gave us a great word there. Really gave us a good word, really gave us a good understanding of the Greek word that is there. A humbleness of mind, of mind. What is the mind? The mind is the heart, it's the inner recess, it's what it is inside of us. It lets us, it is our introspective, it's what we think of ourselves. Our mind is what we're thinking right now. It's what you're thinking right now, but you're not saying anything, all right? That's what's happening in your mind. That's what it is. 
We find in this particular passage here, humbleness of mind, and that's an outfit that you don't see worn very much. It's like a wedding dress. It only gets worn once at once one time in your whole entire life sometimes. And I was humble once, right? Um, and some of us, and I think all of us probably would have to, if we're going to fit into humbleness of mind, we're going to have to lose some weight. Amen? If you get what I mean. All right? We've got a few extra LBs of pride hanging on to us, you know? Amen? Come on now, let's be honest with ourselves here, all right? We've just got a little bit too much baggage here that we're hanging on to ourselves, and we need to let it off. It's not a fancy thing. It's not a wedding dress, but it's something that is to be worn all the time. In fact, the Bible even tells us to wear it. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5 says this, Likewise, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. Put it on, he says. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to resist me. If pride is how cold it is at the North Pole, then that's how much humility you should be putting on. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. If pride is relationship to the North Pole, that's how much humility you should put it on. We're all living in a world of pride. Amen? We're living around people that are full of pride. We're living, that's the, the, the more proud of a society that we live in, the more clothing of humility that we need to put on. Humbleness of mind. The meaning is that you have an introspective look or a careful examination or a correct view of yourself. You have a correct view of yourself. Now, I think we have to be very careful here because... If you're not careful, you'll develop another form of pride in a different variety. Now, there's different kinds of prides. There's the boastful pride, right? The guy that's, you know, I, I can do it, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, and you're going to listen to me, and you're under my thumb, and I don't need anybody tell. I, that's There's one type of pride there. There's another type of pride that says, well, I'm just nearly no good for nothing. I'm too stupid. I can't do it. I'm not old enough. I'm not good enough. I'm just a loser. You know what that kind of pride's called? That's called self-pity. And you're wanting somebody to say, oh, no, you're okay, it's all right, we love you, and pat you on the back and say, it's all right, make you feel better. How do you know, preacher? I've done both, okay? So, all right, I'm speaking from experience here, all right? We've all been there. This is not a slam on anybody. This is a slam on all of us. This is something that the Bible is teaching us to look inside of ourselves and to say, we need to have a correct view of who I am. These are just variations, and they come up in all sorts of ways. There's false humility, but false humility is just real pride. Humbleness of mind has a correct view of themselves. Uh, my favorite verse to go along with this is Romans 12.3. I love Romans 12.3. Listen to what it says. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, and this is what I like what he says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Amen? Let none of us think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man according to the measure of faith. You see, you don't, you don't, think, you don't think of yourself as... You, you, you don't, you don't say, well, I'm better than this person or I'm better.
better than that person. Sometimes as parents, we can get down on ourselves. Well, I'm just not the best. Well, I wish I was a better dad. I wish I was a better mom. Well, I'm just not good enough. Well, it's no wonder they don't like me. Well, it's not. Be careful with all that. Be careful that you don't waller in your self-pity. Listen, God has called you and equipped you to be a mom or to be a dad. He's called you and equipped you to be the person that he's placed you to be. But humility could be said in this. If somebody were to call me today and say, hey, listen, we've got this church up here, uh, you know, um, I just I'm, I look at Alex out right here, you know, Paul Chapel, you know, he's pastoring a church. 8,000 members, got a school and a college and everything. You know, and Lancaster Baptist Church called me and said, hey, would you like to be the pastor? You know, Paul Chappell, he's, he's going to go on the road, evangelism. And would you like to be the pastor of Lancaster? Now, of course, they would never do that. But at the same sense, if they did, it's not a false humility. I'm trying to distinguish the difference here for me to say, listen, I'm not equipped for that, all right? My wife would agree with you, me right away. She would say, I, I, "That's not me. I, I, I can't do that. I, I, that's not my. That's not my calling. I, I, I can't. I, I'm not able to do that. I know my limitations. Okay. So there are limitations in what you can do and what you can't do. That's not being self pity. That's just knowing who you are. Okay. Does that make sense? If somebody called you today and said, would you like to be the president of the United States? I, I would think that the majority of us would probably go, you know what, I'm just too busy. You know what I mean? I just I don't think that's going to work out for me. Um, because I, that's just, I'm not called to that. I'm not equipped for something like that. I, I would crumble underneath those conditions. I know myself. But we also see this particular place here that, and where he says kindness and humbleness of mind, those two are connected together. They hinge on one another. Because when you're kind, you're not condescending. Does that make sense? When you're kind, you're not condescending. You're not looking down on somebody all the time. And so when you're not condescending, you're also humble. You have a good introspective of who you are. I wouldn't let, I, this we ought to be careful here. Don't let sarcasm go too far. We live in a very sarcastic society, very cynical society. I would be careful not to let sarcasm go too far. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let cynicism go too far. I wouldn't be letting uh, jesting go too far. The Bible even warns us of that. Be careful. Watch out for this. Be careful of this coarse jesting that is going on. And that still goes on in our days today. Be careful with that joking, with that attitude. You don't look down on your nose at others. You don't lift yourself up into a position or a place that you've been called to. The Bible says in Proverbs 25 in verse number 6, it says, Put not, thy forth, put not forth thyself in the presence of a king, um, and stand not in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, that thou shouldest not be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. What's that mean? It means this, is that, is that don't place yourself in a higher position than what God has called you to be in that. All right? 
I'll never forget, and you maybe I've, I've said this illustration before, I'll never forget I was about Alex's age, and I was asked to preach at a church, and, and the guest preacher always sat up here on the front, and, 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 and I just assumed I was in this church, and I sat up here, and the pastor looked at me and said, that's the song leader's position, chair. And man, I was humbled, man. You talking about being humbled. I mean, I felt like about this small, you know, I, you know. I preached on humility. No, I'm just praying. I don't even know what I preached on. I don't know what happened the rest of the time, but I remember that. And now this proverb came to my mind. And don't lift yourself up into a higher place than you ought to be. If somebody calls you up and, and says, hey, you sit up here, that's fine. With, you know, go on up there. That's fine. That's the idea there. But we could deal with a lot of things. But the idea of humbleness of nine is having a right and a correct view of yourself in relation to God. In relationship to God. Now, who are you and who am I in relationship to God? (laughs) Yeah. Jesus even said, for without me, ye can do nothing. Without God, you can do nothing. You can't even blink your eyes without God. You realize that? You didn't wake up this morning. The only reason you woke up this morning is because of God. That was it. The only reason my neighbor's still alive is because of God. The only reason we're still in this building tonight is God. That's it. You do nothing to keep your heart beating. You understand that, don't you? Because you don't go, when you go to sleep tonight, and some of you, right? Some of you sleep right now, all right? Don't fall asleep on me yet, all right? I know it's been a long day, okay, for some of you. Caleb was up there at Lowe's early this morning, waking up three thirty, going to Lowe's. We're going to work and here at church tonight. Praise God. Listen, you, 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 when you go to bed tonight, you don't have to tell yourself. You don't have to set an alarm by your phone and say, "Oh, I better breathe," right? Better, oh, my heart's stopping. Better, better get it going again. You know, you don't do that. God is the only reason any of us are here. Compare yourself to God. The Bible says that it is foolish for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. For you to compare yourself with somebody else is ridiculous. And either way, for you to look down upon them or for you to look up on them and say, they are better than me. Or to look down upon somebody and say, I am better than them. Both ways are wrong. Both ways are wrong. You are a person. You are a sinner. You are, you are lost, and Jesus found you and saved you. And listen to me. The only reason why any of us are anything is because of Christ. That's it. Nothing else. He is all and all. That leaves room for this much. God didn't just say Christ is all. Amen? He said Christ is all in all. He's everything the Colossians, he was trying to write to them and get this point across to them that they that God is a God that is preeminent. Take a deep, hard look at yourself and compare yourself to God. Listen, unless you've got a distorted picture of God, and some people do, you could have a distorted picture of God tonight. You really could. You might think that God is a tyrant. You might believe that God doesn't care about you or love you because he let bad things happen to you. 
Uh, you might think that God, uh, that God uh, is out to get you or that God... Is, you, there's a lot of distorted pictures of God. And if you've got a distorted picture of God, you're definitely not going to compare yourself in the right way. But I keep pounding this point because we have to keep it in our minds that Christ is preeminent. He is all in all. He's first place and there is no other place. There could be a lot more said with that, but I want to go on to the next piece of clothing. That is meekness. Meekness. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness. I've preached many times on this particular gift of God, but meekness is humility's twin sister. Humility of mind, if humility of mind is your view of yourself towards God, meekness is your view of yourself towards others. Humility sees yourself in the light of God's eyes. Meekness makes a righteous comparison, and don't get me wrong here what I'm saying here with this. Meekness makes a righteous comparison of yourself in the life of others. What do you mean by that? Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Meekness is found in the life of Moses whenever the people of Israel criticized him for his leadership. And what did he do? He prayed for them and entreated God for them when God was going to destroy them. Meekness is found in Jonathan, who instead of hating David and knowing full well that David would be king, instead of plotting and planning against him like his father Saul did, what did he do? He rather assured him that when the day came for when David to be king, that he would gladly hand over the throne to him and there would be no problems. That's meekness. Meekness is found in the life of Barnabas who after finding Paul in Tarshish, taking him back to Antioch, traveling like I think 1,500 miles back to Antioch, teaching and training and being with him, finally, then they go out on their missionary journey. It's not Barnabas that's getting the accolades and getting the praise and getting the pat on the back and saying, you're the apostle. No, it's the apostle Paul who is, and he takes a back seat. I think my wife did a little thing on that last night when the when the... When the, when the master becomes the assistant. Meekness is found in the life of John the Baptist in his classic statement whenever he had the crowds thronging him. I mean, he... Uh, let me just say it like this. If there was a thing for a preacher to get proud over, it would be John the Baptist preaching outside the cities and people from the city coming by the droves to come hear him preach. And if there was something that would puff up a preacher, that could be it. Does that make sense? They're coming to me to hear me preach. And when they asked him, art thou the Christ? And what did he say? He said, I won't even be worthy to stoop down and unlatch his shoes. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a sign of meekness. That's meekness. It's Isaac. Whenever Isaac, who was the most powerful man in all the land, could have taken out any king that he had wanted to, but yet they kept from the, the men from Gerar kept coming and stealing his wells. And what did Isaac keep doing? He kept digging another well. 
and another and another and another. And you know when they finally dug his last well, that the men of Gerar came to him, and the Bible says that they feared him. Why did they fear him? Because he was meek. Strength under control. Because he was meek. He wasn't fierce, mad. It's like you say about dogs sometimes, you got to watch out for the quiet ones, you know. The ones that are barking, right? And just standing there looking at you. I go into a lot of people's houses and I worry about the dogs that just stand there and look at you and don't say a word. I had a Doberman one time. I walked in this house, didn't say a word to me. You know what I mean. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm using a little human language here. Just looked at me. Followed me all around the house looking at me. Every time I turn around, you know, you'd be doing something, you turn around, the dog's standing right there, you know. And it makes you nervous. Big old Doberman. I'm looking down, and I'm getting on my hands and knees, and I'm looking at something in the house, and I've got, I've got a flashlight, and all of a sudden I hear this. <laughs> and the Doberman is right here on my shoulder, and it pushes its head down on my shoulder like this. It's pushing me down right here. Mark walks in. And get off of him! And, uh, oh my goodness! He just wants you to pet him. <laughs> and I petted that dog. I love that dog now, man. I've my, I've wanted to get a Doberman ever since. Acarus won't let me. So <laughs> the word meekness means to be gentle. Webster defines it as being mild and meek. It means, he he defines it as not rough. He defines it as harsh, not harsh or severe. It defines it as a gentle nature, temper or disposition, a gentle manner and a gentle address, a gentle voice. A couple of people defined it like this. Meekness shows how humility will affect my actions towards others. I will not dominate, manipulate, or coerce for my own ends, even if I have the power and ability. Wow, that's convicting. Under whatever injuries or provocations you may receive, somebody else said, always restraining you from the eve, from returning evil for evil, railing for railing, and from resenting any injury, from resenting any injury that may be done unto you. Meekness is described in many places throughout the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Timothy, and Titus. All of them give to us in these particular places right here the quality that a Christian is to have. They are to have the quality of meekness. It's something that, we're not, that we did not possess before we got saved, but once we got saved, we are to now put it on. We have full access to it because of Christ. Because listen to me, without Christ, you have no ability to wear meekness. None. But with Christ, you have the full measure to wear meekness all of your life. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What makes you meek is not you, it's Christ living in you. That's what makes you meek. 
For Christ even said, he declared it and could. He said, for I am meek and lowly of heart. That's what I am. So if you do not have Christ, then you're not truly going to be biblically meek. Does that make sense? But we're supposed to be this way because Christ is in us. If Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit of God, then we are commanded and required to be meek because he's in us. That's who we're supposed to be. That's our new nature. That's why I said we're supposed to be perpetually putting off and putting on, realizing when we're not meek and then saying, you know what, God forgive me of that and putting on this quality and in this attribute of meekness. Meekness says, I am not better than anybody else. Meekness is there to say, whenever you receive a gift, to say, you know what, I'm not worthy to receive this gift. Meekness even goes another step, I believe, that whenever harshness or something might be done to you, that meekness can say, and without any self-pity, Understand what I mean by this. Meekness, whenever somebody has done something, even if it's wronged you, meekness can honestly say without self-pity, you know what? I really deserve worse. I really deserve worse. Because meekness has with it, coupled with it, a correct view of oneself, humbleness of mind. It sees who they are and who they stand before God. It's perfectly demonstrated. Listen, meekness shows us this. Meekness shows us who we are, that we are all just sinners in need of God's help. Jesus perfectly illustrated meekness in Matthew 5, 43 and 44 when he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's meekness. But what do we do naturally in those situations when people abuse us and hurt us and criticize us and get on to us and and rebuke us and hurt us and all those things? What do we naturally want to do? We want to be angry, upset, flustered, irritated. We want to get mad. We want to get revenge. We want to kill them. We want to hate them. We want to get bitter. We want to, if we're bitten, we want to bite back. Listen to the admonition of Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. James 4.2, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and you war and you have not because you ask not. Meekness will have none of this, but our society that we live in has made meekness to be a wimpy thing and has declared that no one ought to be meek. I'm truly belief that I'm truly under the belief the more I study meekness, the more I'm under the realization that the, one of the, the greatest quality lost in all of society since the fall is meekness. Is meekness. Because here's the thing. When you're attacked, you want to attack back. Let me step outside my message for a second. Over here. All right. I'm not talking about defending your family, okay? These is a, this, a, that's a whole other message. Luke did a great job on that with a, with a Sunday school series and everything. And uh, so I'm not, it's not what I'm talking about. Don't get your mind on that. I'm talking about when somebody makes a personal attack against you, 
And let me say maybe this, because we've got to be careful with this. Maybe even against your family. They make a personal attack against you or your family. Now, you might be able to say, well, I can handle somebody attacking me. Well, can you handle your wife attacking you? Mm. Better watch out. Well, I, I can handle, but I can't handle somebody getting on my wife. You know, now, I understand what you're saying with that, but we got to be careful. Well, I can't tell nobody give her, get on my kids about anything. We we we've got to, we've got to be careful with that. We can't just we can't just go full bar and say, you know what, I, I, I'm all right as long as they're not doing any, not not saying anything bad about anybody else. We got we just got to be watchful for that. That we're being meek in those situations. Are we being meek? Or is our pride hurt? Amen? Is our pride hurt? Or is it that we really have lifted our kids up on a pedestal and really they're just the same as any other kid? Or... We, we've done, we, we, we do that with ourselves, and I'm just saying be careful with that. Be careful in how you view your meekness. But getting back to ourselves is that the world, and listen, this is what's scary to me, is that even Christian books promote this junk. You know what the opposite of meekness is? I looked it up in the, in the, in the thesaurus today. The opposite of meekness in the thesaurus is assertiveness and you know what Christian books are promoting you know what they're promoting at some of these at some of these churches and some of these counseling sessions they're promoting something called assertiveness training I'm not going to be under your thumb anymore that's how modern psychology that's how self-help groups promote these things they want to say you should be assertive I'm demanding my rights. You're going to do things on my terms. You're going to, and, and, and man, don't we hear, you're no longer going to punish me, I'm going to punish you, you know? And that's the society we live in. And listen, let me just read some words to you. Stand up, rise up, get up, don't shut up. What am I saying? What is that saying? What, what is that? What is that saying right there? We're going to rise up. Nobody's telling me what to do anymore. Nobody's putting me under their thumb anymore. And it almost sounds like a commercial for today. And psychologists will even go so far, and some churches will even go so far to promote, you got to take your aggression out. You got to get this, this assertiveness. I mean, here's a stuffed animal, and they want, to, they want you to tear that stuffed animal apart, you know? Take it out on those things. They'll even say, hey, talk to me like you really want to talk to your husband or your spouse. It's time that you stop getting stepped on. Let it out. That's, that all sounds like fun, and that sounds like something. That I, yeah, I just want to, I want to give it to him. I want to, I want to say it, you know. I want to cuss you out. I want to say I want to rip this thing apart. I want to really tell you how I feel. But listen to me, my friend. One sin... One sin and another sin do not make up for sins done to you. 
Two wrongs never make a right. We must be under the complete understanding that meekness is a gift of God. Something that God wants us to be. He wants us to be meek. Now, if you're thinking, I'm saying, well, you just, you know, just a little, you know, a little milk toast mic, and you're not going to just say anything, you know. It's not what I mean. I mean, look at Moses. Look at these great men of God. In fact, in fact, meekness is not just passive, but meekness is actually very active. In three of the passages in the New Testament, you find that meekness deals with the action of rebuke. It deals with rebuke. It tells us that we ought to be meek when we rebuke somebody. When we warn them, when we admonish them. I wish I could take you and I'd love to just take you through all these passages, but in 1 Corinthians 4.18, and you know what? Paul speaks there of abuse. Paul was abused physically. He was physically abused. And he writes to the Corinthians who were basically, many of them were just writing, them, writing him off and saying he really wasn't an apostle anymore. And he writes to them and he says, do I have to come to you in either love and meekness or basically with correction? In 2 Corinthians 10, he deals with criticism. And again, he's dealing with it. He says, I've come to you with meekness. And in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and tells them, he says, a word of warning whenever you're instructing people that have, that have gone away from the Lord. Make sure you rebuke them, though, with all gentleness and meekness. We need to respond with meekness and gentleness when we're trying to rebuke somebody and help somebody. If it's just a child. Don't lose your temper. If you lose your temper with your children, you're not being meek. You're not being meek. He that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. King Saul, I mean, what a great example of that. He was not a meek man. In fact, whenever his son Jonathan disagreed with him, he tried to kill him, all right? That is a definition of what meekness is not. Got it? All right? He completely lost his temper. He was full of pride and rebellion against any form of meekness. And as leaders, we must be focused. What is our focus as leaders? As a, that, as a leader, that could be me as a pastor. That could be you as a boss. If you've got somebody underneath you at your work, that could be your family. That could be your children. That could be whoever that God has placed you over in life. As leaders, God has called us to two particular qualities when we come about to be meek in rebuke is that we've got to do two things. Focus on repentance and restoration. The moment that you dis, the, the, your, desire, your desire for your children when you discipline them should be that they would repent and be restored. 
But if you're going to fly off the handle and yell and scream and carry on and talk in harsh tones and then just carry on like that for days and days and days and bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and talk about it over the dinner table uh, two days later, listen, you're not helping anything at all. And you're definitely not being meek. And you're definitely not trying to restore and see repentance. How did, how did God, listen, how did God deal with David when he sinned? He said this, thou art the man. And then he proceeded to tell him the judgment. If you can't be meek in a situation of rebuke, then you know what you need to do? You don't need to rebuke. You need to hold your tongue. You need to walk away for a few moments. You need to not say anything. Well, I can't not say anything. Well, you prove out James 3 then, right? That your tongue is an unbridled thing. You just let it flap and let it do whatever it wants to do. I know there's times, I know what some of y'all's moms are thinking. There's times when kids need to have discipline, right? I'm not saying that. Don't take me wrong. I understand. I can't deal with everything in a message I'm already running over right now. But you know, even as your pastor, sometimes I'll have to preach and come alongside and give some admonition. And it's not fun for anybody. Admonition, warning, and rebuke are not fun for anybody not fun for me. A pastor that gets joy out of rebuke is sadistic, all right? And it's just, I mean, I don't understand any pastor that likes that. I just love to rebuke people. You're weird, man. Get away from me, you know? <laughs> you know? What do you, what, what, what do you get a kick out of that for, you know? You know, I want, I want you to be God-fearing, Jesus-loving, holy Christians, but if you do something wrong, you know, and Randy does something that he ought not to have been doing, and I, and I just really just fuss on him, and I just really get on him right out there in the hallway, and everybody's looking at him, and I'm going to embarrass him, I'm going to embarrass myself, and I'm going to embarrass everybody else. I'm definitely not being meek. Now, if Randy's got Marshall, you know, hand up by the, you know, by the neck over here, you know, we might have got different problems here, okay? Always manage the situation, okay, and what we're talking about here, all right? As a pastor, I'm commanded to be meek in correcting you. We're all commanded in this area. That's just your church, preacher, and you just kind of do it the way. Listen, I hate when people say that. Can I just say that right now? I hate when people say, well, this is your church. This is not my church. Okay? This is the Lord Jesus Christ church. It is not my church. Well, that's your church, preacher. No, it ain't my church. I get to be the under-shepherd under one. Yeah, it's my church, just like it's your church. Amen? I like to say our church. This is our church. It's where we're at. But the goal is repentance and restoration. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Why? Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. 
Why do we? Why are we meek with our children? Why are we meek with our uh, with our spouses? Why are we meek with our coworkers? Or why are we meek with one another? Why? 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 Because of this very reason. Don't get prideful and spout and puffed up. Because understand that it might be you the next time getting rebuked. Amen. And how do you want somebody treating you? How do you want somebody talking to you? And like I said, this applies to all leadership and all correction. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a boss, a pastor, assistant to a boss. The Bible, did you know the Bible even gives you a correct way on how to rebuke your pastor? Did you know that? It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith that thou shalt not muzzle the axe that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may fear. It, 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 it's, there, there's, there's, there's ways about doing things, and it's all in the Bible. Amen? It's right there in the scriptures. It's here. These two twins... Humbleness of mine, my worth before God, and meekness, my worth before others. We're taught to say, we are worthy. We're taught to say, I have self-worth and self-value. Be assertive. Just, just kind of boast yourself. Put yourself out there. Listen, we are nothing. But in Christ, we have everything. We have everything, my friend. In Christ, Colossians 2, 3 says, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Don't be beguiled because you'll be wearing nothing and have nothing by the time it's all over with. You'll be like the story of the king's clothes. You remember that story? Emperor's clothes. How many knows the emperor's clothing? You don't, how many of you don't know the emperor's clothing? Raise your hand. Come on. Be, be, be humble. <laughs> the emperor's clothing. He had these two tailors that came in and spun him all these clothes and everything. And uh, they said, "Wow, you just look wonderful. You look beautiful. You look amazing and everything. I'll give you the abbreviated version. And then, and then uh, he walks out and people are looking at him strangely, but they're too, they don't want to say nothing to the king, you know. And finally, he's going to come for his big debut and they've really spun him a really beautiful clothes. And he says, he says, I just can't feel these clothes. They're so, so light and everything. And just, I can't even hardly see them. They say, yeah, but see, you can't see them, but others can just see them. They're so wonderful. And they had him stole all his money, all his gold. And they paraded the emperor down through the middle of the street. And he didn't have any clothes on. The emperor's clothing. That's probably a very bad version of it right there, but... You get the point. 
you listen to this world and you listen to this thoughts, these thoughts of assertiveness, of I've got to do this, and well, I've really, I'm really, I'm really got some self-worth, and and I'm going to def- I'm going to defend myself, and I'm going to, I'm going to, nobody's going to mess with me. You, you walk around with that attitude, you'll end up with nothing. And everybody end up leaving you. But in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus Christ. And may God help us to put on meekness and humbleness of mind. Father, we're thankful.